Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Brian Stevenson said, but our brokenness is also the source of our common humanity, the basis of our shared search for comfort, meaning, and healing. Our shared vulnerability and imperfection nurtures and sustains our capacity for compassion. This is episode 45 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Dr. John DeGarmo. After the death of their first child, the grief destroyed him because he wasn't dealing with it in the right way. Not allowing himself to grieve with the false idea that men don't cry or deal with their emotions caused tension in his marriage. It would take some time away from the world for him to start doing the self-work and recognize that it wasn't his or anyone else's fault. So they moved back to the U.S. and it took another couple of years for him to return to the person he once was. Now he's fostered over 60 children and even adopted two and is the founder of the Foster Care Institute. Without a doubt, he's made an impact on a lot of lives already and continues to educate and help others do the same. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Dr. John DeGarmo. Hey, Dr. John, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Uh, it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I signed up for this newsletter on a website called podcastguest.com. I've had an overwhelming response to it. And I'm glad that you were one of them. I read your the little bio that you provided, and uh, I can tell just from that that you've definitely got a story to share. And I'm glad that you decided to come on here and share it with our listeners. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. So the first question I'd like to ask every guest to get started is, what is your definition of vulnerability? You know, we've had so many kids come through my home as a foster parent that have been so vulnerable so vulnerable and so i believe that vulnerable is open being open to being harmed in some way emotionally physically mentally um and those who are vulnerable are often those who are unprotected those who often don't have a support system of some sort no for sure and that's uh, what i what i and i say this over and over again but what i enjoy about asking that question is that everybody has a slightly different definition and and it really i find it really interesting that although there is obviously a standard definition if we were looking at the dictionary that we all have sort of a different way of looking at it and so uh, thank you for for sharing that so i mean I, I know sort of your story um, from what you've shared, like I said, uh, sort of goes around the whole part of, of fostering and your expertise in that and your own personal, um, you know, experiences with fostering. But I, I want to just sort of look at your own life uh, first, if we can, and just if, if you can look back based on what your sort of definition was there, what would you say would be your earliest memory of going through some sort of vulnerability in your own life? Well, probably the most uh, poignant one was the death of my first child. Our first child uh, died of a condition called anencephaly, or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or the skull never truly forms. And, and my wife was in labor for 92 hours. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, everybody grieves in their own way. Uh, I did not grieve in a proper way. I did not grieve in a healthy fashion, if you will. I really uh, tried to bury it. I tried to immerse myself in work. At the time, I believed that men don't cry. Men must be strong. 
I have to continue working to support my wife. Uh, I must be there to help her, uh, not myself. And in essence, it really left me vulnerable to so much. I really sank into, well, I was filled with anger. Um, I was filled with, I, I sank into depression and I sank into a great deal of denial. It wasn't until really years later that I was able to allow myself to be, uh, to allow myself to, to open up and properly grieve um, and, and accept the fact that, you know what, I need to be vulnerable this time. I need to allow myself to feel these emotions. Um, I need to allow myself to, to grieve and accept the fact that, yeah, I'm hurting here. I really am hurting here. Um, instead of denying it. No, and I, I can't obviously, um, well, I, I guess obviously isn't the right word, but I can't compare, you know, situation to situation in terms of like loss that I've experienced. But the one thing that I think is important uh, to take away from that is that it, grief is one of those things that I think a lot of us have difficulty with. I mean, when I lost my grandfather a few years ago, um, I did sort of the same thing that you're talking about, where I just sort of dove into work. I ignored all my emotions, all my feelings towards it. And then when I finally decided to have a conversation with a, a family member about the whole, the, the, the loss and everything, I literally fell apart. Like I was, you know, bawling and I, I, my, I just had no control over my emotions. And I was like, holy cow, like it, it just really shows you like that, when you hold on to it, I think the end result is is that much more extreme. I guess is the way I'm looking at it. Is like you 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 hold on to it for so long that when it does finally come out, it sort of explodes. Um, and so you know, I, again, I just wanted to sort of touch on that because I think a lot of people struggle with grief. I, I I don't know that it's ever something that you necessarily get over, but I think the initial onset of grief is something that a lot of us struggle with in terms of just trying to feel the emotions of it we're, we're sort of I don't know if afraid of it is the word I'm looking for but that seems to be something that I've seen in my own experience and and in other people's experiences as well well you know not only did it hurt myself but it also hurt my, my relationship with my wife uh, the fact that I would not allow myself to grieve the fact that I was so prideful and the fact that again men don't cry I must be strong crying is a sign of weakness you know that that uh that really was harmful to to everything in my life to my relationship with my wife relationship with my friends and family my work uh everything um and it wasn't again it wasn't until i allowed myself to grieve that i was able to uh to to heal to move to to move forward if you will so was there anything that that sort of allowed you to do that or did it was it because uh, i'm 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 imagining that it wasn't like you just woke up one morning and you're like okay i'm gonna deal with this now like was there something that helped you get there was there something that somebody like how did you end up getting to that point where you decided okay i've, I've got to sort of move through this or or face it head on well it took a while it really took a while i think it began when um my wife and i my wife's from australia and we were living in australia at the time and and I was working a full-time job and she had finished her, her degree in college. She'd gone to school late. And uh, we decided to, we recognized that we weren't really enjoying life. So we threw caution to the wind and we moved to a tropical island in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef for a year. And we worked there and um, we kind of got away from everything. Uh, and that was, uh, that allowed me time to do some introspection, to recognize, you know what, uh, I'm not in control of this. Uh, this, this was something that was beyond my control, uh, the death of the child. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't anyone's fault. Um, and it allowed me to begin the healing process. And then we moved, to, uh, we moved back to America after the 
birth of our first child and um, that healing continued. Uh, it probably took me two years really to come around, if you will, to, 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 to not necessarily come around, but to, um, to get back where I was, if you will. No, for sure. And I think that's, again, an important thing to, for people to realize is that it's not going to be sort of an overnight thing. It's not going to be a next month, the next week, it could be two years, it could be three years, it could be, you just have to sort of allow yourself, like you said, get to that point. And uh, I'm I'm definitely glad that you did, because I think it's probably part of what led to where you're at now, and what you're doing now. Um, so, you know, once you were able to sort of get through it and and recognize everything, like what what new strength would you say that it presented in you? Like what, what did it bring out in you? Um, once you sort of got through that experience or not got through it, but once you were able to face it and sort of move forward. I don't think I would have been a foster parent to over 60 plus kids. I don't think I would have adopted children. I don't think I would open up the foster parents to, or, or devoted my life to what I'm doing now, uh, because it allowed me, um, empathy. It allowed me to empathize with other others and to recognize that children are suffering all around me. You know, I had lost my first child. I had three healthy children after that. There were other children in need. Um, and uh, I think without, without that experience, that horrible experience, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today, to be sure, to be sure. So it's allowed me to, to um, seek out opportunities to help others. No, and I think the the word that you use there at the beginning, empathy, is is definitely a, a a good a good sort of definition of what what happened because it seems like that is something that you know you would definitely need to be able to do what you've done, like you said, fostering over sixty children. I can only imagine uh, the vulnerabilities that go along with that. I mean, you're you're that's a lot of different children coming in and out of of your family and you know different i'm sure different experiences and different uh challenges and so on and so forth and if you wouldn't mind you know touching on that a bit more just because i i i a i haven't had anybody on here that's talked about fostering and b i mean like i said 60 is is quite a high number so um yeah if you wouldn't mind getting into that a bit more yeah sure sure my wife and i've had uh we've done it about 17 18 years um I got my doctorate in it, written several books, traveled the nation and the globe, helping child welfare agencies, helping foster parents. But really, I want to help the kids. I want to help these kids who are suffering. There's, there are so many vulnerable children across the United States and across the globe. Many don't recognize these vulnerable children are living in our communities and even in our neighborhoods. Uh, children, you know, Five million children in the United States experience or witness domestic violence in their own home um, yearly. 300,000 children yearly run away to human trafficking in the United States. Again, these are children who are so vulnerable, who have been so abused, neglected, abandoned, who are living right near us um, that much of society doesn't recognize. And, and I have, again, as I think I mentioned at the top of the program, I've had so many kids in my own home who are just so vulnerable, so weak. And that's where, when, when these children are vulnerable, that's when the predators reach out and seek them because they recognize their vulnerability, so they lure them in with false promises, false hopes, into a den of terror. 
No, and so I, I, I'm just thinking back, like I, I had a, a family friend um, who was a foster parent for many years, but most of the time from what I could uh, see at least and from what I understood about most of her foster care, she fostered children that were like very, like babies essentially, like very early on in life. Um, and then obviously from, you know, t- for a short period of time, and then they would sort of transition more into adoption or more permanent places. Your experience with fostering, is it, would that be similar or was it, is it sort of any age range? Is it, you know, just, I, I just wanted to sort of get an idea of how the whole thing works. Cause again, I've never done it as well. Um, and, you know, so my only experience of it is through that family friend that I sort of saw as a, when I was growing up. Sure, sure. Thanks for asking. We've had children in our house as young as 27 hours old and as old as 18 years of age oh. and everything in between. Uh, what, what many in society do not understand or appreciate is when these youth who have been in boss care all their lives, and some have, uh, when they age out or leave the system, the statistics for them are very, very grim. 55% will drop out of school, not graduate from high school. 65% will end up homeless, 75% will end up incarcerated at some point, and the cycle will just continue. They have no living skills, they have no social skills, they have no education, they have no sort uh, sense of support, they have no support system. So they become vulnerable to all of these outside influences that they're simply not prepared for. Yeah, that's, uh, it's unfortunate, I think, because, you know, like, not to get too much into my own story, but my wife and I are just pregnant, right? She's my wife's pregnant right now. And in the struggle for us to get there, um, we didn't have a natural conception. And so for me, the, the thought that comes to mind is that, you know, there's some people like my wife and I who want to have a child like more than anything in the world and then have these sort of struggles physically. Um, and then there's a lot of people out there that have children and then they end up in these sort of cases, which, like I said, it just seems unfortunate to me because I think the whole, I don't know, for me, it's as I think about my child coming into the world, I think it's like one of those precious things that, you know, we all hope to experience. And yet some people just sort of don't necessarily and I mean circumstances are are different for everybody so I don't want to place blame or anything like that but it just seems unfortunate that it gets to that case where there's that many children um, sort of in systems like this so the the other thing that I I read when I uh, read your your short bio there was that you've adopted as well so were some of these foster children the ones that you adopted or was that separate nope all these were kids so we're in the foster care system at the time and happened to be in place in our home and they happened to have had what's known as TPR or termination of parental rights. Their, their parents were unable to, um, to have reunification with their children. So they went up for adoption. So we've adopted three and there have been four that we were unable to adopt that we tried to. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's heartbreaking as well. Um, but you know, my house, there's no, there's no label. There's no biological or foster adopted. They're all my kids, all my children. And we love them the same. I don't see one of my children say, Oh, that's my adopted child. That's my Brown child. That's my white child. I don't see that. I just see that's mm-hmm. my family. No, I think that's key. I mean, I, and I think family is one of those things that um, definitely, as much as there is that uh, biological definition of family, um, I think that family can be looked at in multiple different ways. And even some people that we've just known for years as friends and stuff like that can be considered family once they've been a part of our life for a longer period of time. So, but I appreciate the fact that you don't sort of differentiate because I think that's important. And I'm assuming more so for the children as well, because if they feel like they're separate, then that might cause issues on, on its own. Um, so, 
One one thing I, I I wanted to sort of ask is, you know, I, I can only imagine, you know, you talked about sort of the toll that losing your first child took on you. What sort of toll has this whole experience taken? Because I, you know, just from what you said, you know, like there's four, uh, four more kids that you tried to adopt that you couldn't. Um, and I can't imagine that when that happens, it's any easier to deal with than like the loss of your own child, even though they're not obviously passing away, they're still, you're losing them from a part of your, your life and, and people that they were obviously people that you wanted to keep in your life if you were thinking of adopting them. So, like, and, and also just fostering as many kids as you have, like what sort of toll does that take on a person or, or a couple or just because if there's anybody listening to this that's thought about it, um, and you know, I'm not saying that I have, but uh, if there's anybody listening that might be thinking about doing it, I just wouldn't mind getting your perspective on it so that some people can maybe, maybe just give them a better idea of what to expect or, or what to, you know, think about if they're, if they're, you know, if they're considering this. That's a great question. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, you know, so many people say to me, Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It would hurt too much to give the kids back. And that's true. But that's that's a wonderful truth. And I'll tell you why that is. These children need they're so vulnerable. They're so hurt. They're so they've been so abused in ways that we can't even imagine. Horrific ways. And not only do they need stability and they need structure, but they need someone to love them unconditionally with all of their heart. So within the child leave, for whatever reason it might be, whether it's reunified with their parents or adopted or aging out or moving to another foster home, whatever the reason might be, when they leave the home, my home or any foster parent's home, uh, we experience severe experiences of grief and loss. It's like losing our own child. You know, our heart breaks for these kids. But the good thing is, uh, we are giving that child a gift of our broken heart because we might be the only person who has ever loved this child with all that we have. We might be the first person who's ever cried tears over this child when they've left. So we're giving that child a gift of our heart. Uh, many, many foster parents experience what is known as compassion fatigue or secondary traumatic stress, which is a, a form of stress that caregivers in general um, experience. They, um, they, they, they open themselves up to whatever it is. They experience someone else's pain over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and then for your foster parent, you know, you're with these kids 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So they become your family. So when they do leave, yeah, we experience feelings of, of grief and loss and compassion fatigue. Um, and as well there's other anxieties um, but again it's it's a wonderful gift to give to the children is it hard oh yeah absolutely absolutely i've i've become an emotional uh emotional bucket years ago crying some over some of these kids no and 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 i'm glad that you sort of um share that because i i you know i don't want people to think that you know in in many ways i'm sure you the thought process is i'm doing something good and and something good for the world but I, I think people need to understand that there's also obviously good with that comes with the bad. And I mean, that's sort of the whole point behind this podcast is to show people like as much as there is hard uh, hardships and, and things that we have to go through struggles and so on, that there there's something to learn from it. Um, and, you know, it's like you're, you're saying there, you know, as much as it is hard, you're, you're still giving that kid unconditional love for the period of time that they're in your home. And that might be something they've never experienced. And hopefully that impacts them to, better them for the future and and have you seen any like um 
or experienced any, I guess, cases like that where, you know, somebody that you've had in your home has come out of your home in a better way or, you know, maybe later on in life or anything like that. If there's any stories you wouldn't mind sharing. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, One in particular that's such a beloved member of my family. When she first came to us, she was 17 years of age. Uh, Her birth parents had died in Romania. She had been adopted by three separate families. All families had abused her in some fashion, and all families, uh, very, very bad abuse, uh, all forms. And all families had given her back, so to speak, um, to, the, to, the, to the state, uh, in various states. So when she came to us, she was, she had huge issues of trust, huge issues of attachment, as well as she should, as well as she should. Um, and it was a very hard time in our life with her in the home, um, because she couldn't trust anybody, and she would not accept their love. Uh, now she is she's again a beloved member of her family this is this is so much years later um we're grandparents to her children um and there are there are other stories of that too you know some of these kids come to our home and they as i said earlier they become members of our family and they still are still are to this day even though we may not have they may not have lived with us for quite some time no i I, that sort of to me like i people can't see my face because i don't release the videos but my eyes just went wide there because for you to adopt somebody who, like you said, went through all that um, sort of pain and, and just the, the abuse and everything that you're you're sort of mentioning. And then for them to then reach a point in their life where they were able to trust somebody enough to have children and create their own family, that 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 there to me is that's that's a huge impact you guys must have had on that person or on, on your daughter because that's like literally one extreme to the other to the point where they can barely even trust somebody to the point where they trusted somebody enough to bring more life into the world like that that is just yeah i sort of lost for words because i didn't necessarily expect that to be the answer when when i asked the question (laughs) well uh you know again she we, we were unable to adopt her but again she's like she's like one of our daughters and uh you know she's brought so much joy to our hearts and love to our family sorry and i i thought you i thought you had a doctor because you said the you know grandchildren i thought you know you just made the the correlation there but i guess it's just more of that thing like we just talked about a few minutes ago where even though she's not family she became part of the family in a sense yes absolutely absolutely so i mean again you know just to, to sort of you know i guess round like i don't want to say round this off but if everything that you've experienced from the loss of your own child to fostering so many children to adopting children to like how did it all sort of how has it all brought you to where you are now with the books with the you know multiple um uh, appearances you made on different networks and so on and so forth like how like, just to me I, i'm just sort of curious like how you decided to take this from something you were just doing in your personal life to something that you're putting out there into the world that you're trying to help others with like like what where did that decision come from was it just because of lack of information was it like what what made you decide to sort of make this your area of expertise well it certainly wasn't something i set out to do to be sure i never set <laughs> out to be a you know i never i never I never wanted to be a foster parent. I never thought about being an adoptive parent. It was something I never considered. Uh, it just kind of led to that. All those experiences led to that. And I felt called to do it. You know, I felt I was equipped with these skills and this is a calling. This is, this is what I'm to do. Um, you know, there, I, I believed the myths and misconceptions that are out, that were out there about foster care and adoption. And I wanted to, um, 
you know, I wanted to bring awareness to that because I'm a firm believer that awareness equals advocacy. The more people are aware of the fact that children are suffering all around us, um, we can become advocates. And we don't have to become foster parents or adoptive parents to become advocates for these kids. We can become advocates in so many different ways and help these kids in so many different ways. So really to answer your question, it just kind of grew um, and has evolved. Uh, you know, when I, when I finished up my doctorate, I thought, man, I enjoyed the writing process. I'll write a book and it just kind of snowballed in, into, uh, into what I'm doing now. Um, but, uh, you know, I wake up every morning driven to make the system better for all and driven to bring awareness to, to society of what's really happening all around us. So, and, and you just sort of alluded to it really quickly there, but what are some other ways that people can help? Because like you said, not everybody might be considering being a foster parent or an adoptive parent, but what are some of these other ways that people can help? Because even I'm curious and, and I'm sure some of my listeners might be as well. Oh, well, thanks for asking. Uh, so many ways. Well, you can become a mentor or a tutor for a child in your area. You could, during the holiday season, Christmas time, you could adopt, so to speak, a child in your area and purchase gifts for that child. Uh, you can purchase school supplies at the beginning of school semester for kids in foster care. You can buy hygiene items for these kids. Most of these kids come to a foster home, like my, like my own, with only the clothes in their back and nothing else. And foster parents have to scramble to provide these resources. So that's a big help. If you're a business owner, you could employ a child in foster care, youth in foster care, and teach them important skills. Um, you can provide meals to your local foster parent agency, association. If you go to a church or faith-based organization, you can set up a foster care outreach program, if you will, where you have like a closed closet for the kids. And these are just a few of the many ways you can help. No, so it's funny as you said that because then it just made me think about my own personal life because my mom growing up she used to do uh, one of those things like you said where she adopted a family at Christmas time and you know it would be like food gifts and everything for that family and a few years ago my wife and I um, through a, a past employer um, we went to a, a I guess a church organized um, event where they were basically giving out like baskets full of toys and food and stuff like that to families in need in the area this was uh in in ontario um and yeah and, and i remember just walking into some of these houses and just the feeling of you know i don't know if it's gratitude is the word i'm looking for but just there's this immense feeling like just my heart just filled when i walked into some of these houses because like it just made me think about my own life and how there's so many things i've probably taken for granted and here's these people that are like falling apart and get extremely emotional because of this little thing and, and again in my opinion little thing that that's being done for them when you know I, I could probably do more and a few years for the past few years i've definitely been adding things like that into my life around that time of year for sure too then the other thing that i thought about as well is my aunt used to be a big proponent um, for in or not big proponent but she used to take part in the boys and girls club I think it was in here in, in Canada and actually had a um, I don't know what they what they call them but um, I guess she was a big sister to a to a child um, for many years sure. and so is that sort of something you're talking about there is, is the programs like that yes that's one program absolutely that's certainly a program uh, that's like a mentorship, if you will, a big sister. Sure. Absolutely. 
And that, that's where I was sort of relating it to was when you said the mentorship. But again, I, I just wouldn't have put those together when, when, you're, ta- like when you're talking about other ways um, aside from, you know, directly fostering. So, um, but just interesting to, to think about and definitely gives me some things to think about. So, you know, would you say that from these the, the, the sort of the things that you've done and, and the books and everything else that have come along with this, would you say that it's created a sense of success and fulfillment in your life? Or is it just the fostering that's done that? Or is it everything? Or, you know, are you still sort of, is there still something that you're, you're going after on this journey? <laughs> no success. Um, there's so many children right now who are being abused. So many children being uh, abandoned. So many children being neglected right now as, as you and I are talking. Um, so, and, and there's so many people who don't recognize that. You know, human trafficking continues to, to, uh, to increase. Child abuse continues to be in every community and yet society doesn't understand or appreciate that so i have so much more work i have to do so much more work i i i don't feel like i have enough time yeah well i think that's something that a lot of us struggle with but in your case i could say that it's probably you're, you're taking on quite a bit and so i mean hopefully through this podcast or, or other ways that i can uh, you know help get the word out there um, I definitely want to try and do that because this seems, this isn't something I would have ever considered. I, I mean, I, or I would have even thought about, to be honest with you, like I said, aside from the fact that I knew somebody in my, uh, you know, in an extended family that was a foster parent for years, I was really young when that, when that person was doing that. So I didn't even, I just saw, you know, a lot of different kids come around and I was just like, oh, you know, right. cool, whatever. Like, you know, I'm a kid. I, I don't have any real understanding, but now as you're bringing this up and bringing some of these things forward, it's definitely opening up my eyes as well because I, I, I just didn't realize, I guess, the, the extent of this, this issue. I, I, you know, I, I, yeah, just didn't have any clue. Well, I didn't either before I, before I started this journey. So, and I think most of us don't. So, I mean, if you could give our listeners something that I do on every episode, and, and this one might be a little bit different just because of the subject matter and everything, but usually at the end of every episode or, or towards the end of every episode, I ask our, our guests to give people sort of three key takeaways or three key lessons from their life that they could implement into theirs. And, uh, you know, so again, if there's, if there's a way that you could sort of, I guess, take from what you've learned from this experience and from things that have happened to you and give people sort of three things that they could use to face their own struggles. If maybe if they're thinking about going through fostering or adopting as well, just anything, it's sort of three things that you could sort of take away from that you've learned or that have helped you with your growth and with your experience of what you've, what you've uh, gone through. Well, thanks for asking. I think first of all, you need to recognize that you're hurting, recognize that you're in pain um, because recognition is the first step. Uh, you need to recognize that, you know, that, Something is not right with me. I am vulnerable. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. Um, my mental health is not right. Uh, you also need to uh, have some type of support system and recognize I can't do this by myself. I need to have some people who are going to help me through this process. For foster parents, there's a foster parent support group of some kind. You know, for alcoholics, it's AA. There's so many different types of support groups for individuals. If you just, if you just really in a, in a, in a dark spot at the moment or if you're very very vulnerable or if you're heartbroken for whatever reason it might be uh you need to find some type of support system surround yourself with people who will continue to care for you and support you and lift you up and help you in the process and finally you need to uh, love yourself you need to love yourself and uh, help yourself find opportunities to to continue to heal you know I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities for me to continue to learn and evolve 
And um, part of that is, is, is liking who I am and loving who I am. So we need to do that. If you, if you beat yourself down all the time, you're going to be in a bad spot. No, you know, it's, it's incredible because, you know, when I, when I went to ask that question, like I said, I was, there was some hesitancy because I was like, how is this going to relate, you know, when, when this is a very specific subject, but every single one of those relates to pretty much anything that anybody could go through in terms of facing the pain, having support, and then loving yourself. I mean, those are things that I've seen over and over in, in my own life, um, you know, as of recently in terms of just having to sort of face things that I wasn't ready to face for a long period of time in my life to, you know, having the support system, finding the people around me that are going to help lift me up when I need it and just be there when I need them. And then like the last one you said of loving yourself, I think that that to me is the biggest one because it goes back to there's sort of this, um, I guess, analogy that's been going around a lot recently, at least I've seen on social media or heard on other podcasts of the whole, uh, when you're on a plane and the oxygen mask drop, they tell you, put yours on first because you can't help somebody else if you're not breathing yourself. And so I think that that loving yourself sort of relates back to that in terms of if you don't love yourself, how can you expect to give love to others or to, you know, to have love in your life? Right. Absolutely. Right. I agree. So the last thing that I, I want to give every uh, guest an opportunity to do is just really promote yourself. Um, like we've touched on a couple of things like books and stuff like that, that, that you've written, but if you can just sort of, you know, whatever, take another minute or two just to promote everything that you're up to, um, let people know where to find you, where they can reach out to you if they, they want more information or if they'd want to have a conversation with you. Uh, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. So if someone wants to find out more about foster parenting, I would encourage them to watch my TED Talk. And they can see that at my website, the, the Foster Care Institute. Once again, the Foster Care Institute. They can find me on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn at Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert, or Dr. John DeGarmo. Um, and that, that way, again, they can find lots of resources, articles, information, videos, you name it. It's all there. And not necessarily all foster parent related or adoption, but parenting in general and, and child abuse and, and, and human trafficking. And, and something we didn't even begin to touch on, maybe something later on, how children are vulnerable to uh, people attacking them through online media you know online uh, online technology and social media so i i work a lot of that area as well again so many vulnerable children there as well no for sure and i'll definitely um connect with you on a few of those social platforms and and definitely tag them in the show notes and everything like that and and definitely uh, we can look at maybe doing another episode in the future and and touching on that more specifically um i just really wanted to to get on here today and and learn a little bit more about your story (laughs) and and sort of put it out there because again, I think that, like I said, the, the point of this podcast, the, the, the whole, what I'm trying to get out there is, is for people to understand that we all sort of have struggles and there is ways through them and there is things that we can learn from them. And I think you're a great example of that. I mean, from the loss of your own child to how you learn empathy from that, to just have, having that grow into how to show love and compassion to other children that weren't your own. Like, I mean, that, that's, to me there's some people I think that are probably out there that would go through something like you went through um, with your first child and and then maybe give up and for you to not only not give up but to to push forward and and have it impact your life in in the way that it has is pretty incredible to me so you know thank you for coming on thank you for sharing so openly uh, you know 
for me, it's always interesting when I get on here with people that I've never met, never didn't really know up until maybe a week ago, and they're they're so willing to be so open and and share like this. It's always a, an incredible feeling for me. So you know, thank you again, and and definitely want to stay in touch, and um, you know, and and yeah, we'll look at maybe doing another episode uh, in the future because, like you said, there's more that you have to say, and I definitely want to help you share that as well. No, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, take care. You too, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.